in order for a structure to reform, there's got to be a time of chaos. That tension of opposites is a sign that something new is trying to come to life. And our job is not to act, but to hold the tension, to hold that painful, difficult tension of these opposite impulses long enough for a third new possibility to emerge. Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the fields of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, coming to you from Ravenhill Herb Farm, a permaculture design campus of Pacific Rim College in Victoria, British Columbia. As the show's guests demonstrate, by doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. Laurie-Yves Deschard is a legendary alchemical acupuncturist, a pioneer who has inspired countless through her teaching, writing, and clinical practice. She is perhaps best known for her book, Five Spirits, Alchemical Acupuncture for Psychological and Spiritual Healing, which for 15 years has helped guide a generation of acupuncturists into deeper levels of healing, personally and for their patients. Within this episode is profound treasure. Laurie guides us along a rich exploration of alchemical acupuncture, and alchemy in general, which has at its roots the concept of transformation and not restoration. Through its framework, we can extract from our deepest, darkest wounds, known as our prima materia, our most luminous treasures to ourselves and the world. In this fascinating discussion, we excavate concepts such as huntun, chaos, and its transformative energy, entropy and negentropy, wu-wei, action through non-action, and the general merit of practices that have helped Lori and her clients to do their inner work. We also highlight some of the profound topics of all three of her books, including the alchemy of inner work and her newest, Kigo, which explores the essence of acupuncture points. In my opinion, these are all must-reads for practitioners who intend to lead their patients into psychological healing. Along with her husband, Benjamin, who co-authored The Alchemy of Inner Work, Lori is a co-founder of A New Possibility, a learning and healing community designed to help people develop a conscious relationship to their inner life. Her insights are priceless instruments in the quest for inner transformation. I know firsthand that she has had a massive impact on my own transformative journey. Please enjoy this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Lori Eve Deschar. Laurie, welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio. Thank you, Todd. I'm really pleased to be here. I'm so happy to sit down with you again and have another fantastic conversation. You have so much to offer, and many of our listeners might be familiar with some of your work, in particular, your Five Spirits book, which is on alchemical acupuncture. But I'm going to hazard a guess that most people probably aren't familiar with that concept of alchemical acupuncture. And you do such an amazing job in your book and in your teachings and in your work of bringing that to life and helping to educate people on what it is and how acupuncture can be used as such a powerful tool to transform so much more than just the physical body, but certainly the emotions and even our spiritual connection. Why don't we start with a definition? of alchemy and alchemical acupuncture. Great, great. That's a great way to start. 
So in, in our English word, alchemy is derived from actually the Egyptian word, alchemia, which means of the dark soil. And there are many threads of alchemy that we'll get into talking about more. And of course, our focus will be Taoist, but in the work I do, I bring in other traditions as well. So this Egyptian tradition goes back now at least 3000 years. And it began with this idea that when the Nile overflowed its banks, it brought up this dark alluvial soil. So, and that life emerged from. So alchemy for the Egyptians was this study of how life, how spirit, how enlivenment actually arises. And we could even say spirit arises from the dark soil, not coming down from heaven, but coming up from down below. And I'd say that is a really important premise to all alchemy, which we'll come back to, but we'll begin with dark soil art. It's the it's the art of working with darkness, embodiment, matter to discover spirit. So if then we shift to the Chinese word, there's different ones. I mean, even the word Don, when we say Don Tian, the, the cinnabar field of the lower Zhao, we're talking about an alchemical Don, which is the cinnabar, the metal of alchemy, a field in the belly where transformation happens. But another word for alchemy in Chinese is Lian Jin Shu, which is three characters. And Lian means practice, um, technique. Uh, Jin is again, the picture of metal. So it's little, right in there, you can see again, these little specks. And we don't have the character in front of us, but most, People in the acupuncture world know that metal character. It's earth with these little specks of gold and then a, and a roof over it. So once again, right there, we see something embedded in the darkness of the soil, some gold, something sparkly that we can pull out and work with. And then shoe again is art, a kind of art that we develop over time. So in those two definitions, for me, we get the central kind of precepts of alchemy that you also will find in uh, Vedic alchemy, in yoga, in the Kabbalah. It's like this idea that spirit, we can't know spirit as it's pure light out there in heaven. Lao Tzu tells us we can't know that, and yet we can know it through how it shows up in what he calls the the, the divine feminine or the yin, which is saying we know it through matter. We know it how spirit emerges from the darkness, is in us, is embedded. So that's one key piece. So, and then the other key piece is that alchemy is a soul art, which means it happens within time. It's, it takes time, practice, even I would say being willing to suffer a bit to be uncomfortable. It does, it's not a quick fix. And it's also not, you know, the power of now change your mind, change your life. It's much more about 
living down here in this really sometimes confusing um, planet of ours. And how, what are we here for? Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> that final little bit, is that related to Huntun or the chaos? That's beautiful, Todd. That's a great sort of putting it together. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. That bit. What is that concept of Huntun and chaos? Right. So transformation, as it happens down here in matter over time or in me, in, in our lives, in all the confusion and loss and suffering and, you know, even physical issues that pull us into a self-exploration. That's what in alchemy we call like the prima materia. That's the lead that they start with. Inner alchemy begins with something that hurts, something that I'm, I'm pushing up against a resistance. That's the lead. And the moment that instead of getting mad at the outside or blaming someone on the outside, I turn that around and say, what is this lead asking of me? I'm beginning an alchemical process. Within that, in order to unpack, and I think we can even put this because it happens on a body, mind, spirit level. We know that in order to unpack, say, scar tissue or, or you know, a place in the body where there's a holding pattern, there's gonna be a time where you've got to unstructure an old holding pattern. We can also look at that as a psychological defense pattern. And in the unpacking or unwrapping, the chi can get pretty confusing. It, it has to. In order for a structure to reform, there's got to be a time of chaos. And that's what the Taoists, you know, they spoke about the Huntun or the dark Xuan, this opaque chaos place. But rather than seeing that as, oh my gosh, things are getting crazy, things are getting chaotic here, they say, if we can hold that chaos, the alchemist would call it our chaos. Like I, I can, I've got to love this chaos. I have to care for this chaos because only out of that can something actually new emerge. So it's a, it's a gift to each of us. <laughs> Todd, I hate to say it. And there are times when it's really hard to remember. It's good to have someone who reminds you. you know? <laughs> well, yes, the, the chaos is not easy. It's so, and we're so resistant. I mean, another yeah. way of looking at that is, you know, that space between metal and water on the Shen cycle. Because mm -hmm. metal, we've come all the way around the cycle. You know, we're coming into it now and autumn and metals kind of like, okay, let me hold on to those old structures. You know, let me hold on to what I know. But in order to get the negentropy back so the life force can continue, metal has to let go and dive into that dark water. Yeah. Which is a scary thing. Yeah. 
and we know the water's all about that, right? The mm-hmm. fear and the the panic, the anxieties. I mean, we're feeling it right now on a global level because the structures, you know, that most of us, there's certain assumptions that we've made in the West and sort of about what to expect in our lives, what's familiar. There's all these cracks, it's breaking apart. So, you know, when I started this work 40 years ago, I already was a kind of an activist and looking at the environment and very engaged in what was happening there. And I said, we are, we could have tools. Even back then, I was like, we need to have tools that can support us in moving skillfully through what's coming down and moving skillfully in a way that leads to expansion, upgrade, consciousness developments, at least being able to be with the emergent as opposed to just, you know, making a total mess collapse or this um, rushing back into the old familiar patterns that aren't working anymore. And that's why I love alchemy because alchemy is about this. Alchemy is mm-hmm. about what we're in the middle of right now. Like when it's messy and crazy and chaotic and dying and dead and hurting, that's where the alchemists, they hung out there and they're like, okay. Because that's, we- that's the opportunity. You got it. That's the crisis. That's the opportunity. So you said a few, well, you said many things. Um, <laughs> something, something that hurts or old holding patterns. I think we're, as a culture, as people, we're so quick to seek out even acupuncturists to take away something that hurts. Yeah. And I think a lot of acupuncturists, because this is what is largely taught in colleges, oblige with that. They try to, their best to take away something that hurts, whether that's physical, mental, or emotional. But it's within that hurting, within that kind of dark matter that most people don't want to explore where these amazing transformations can happen. And of course, with acupuncture, yes, we can take away something that hurts and we can help that person get on with whatever it is that they want to get on with. But probably something later is going to come along that brings up hurt and we can just keep doing that, helping them get on. Or we can actually help them to explore, as you say, the prima materia, that darkness, that dark soil matter, and figure out where the opportunity is for transformation, which is fascinating about the work that you do. And I also want to acknowledge that you wrote Five Spirits 20 years ago-ish. 17, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we just came out with this beautiful second edition. The new edition, yeah little five spirits and they, they've just been perking along you know, <laughs> dropping shen bits all over the place well and you've inspired so many with it including one of my friends and and podcast guest lonnie jarrett i'm reading his newest book deepening perspectives on chinese medicine incredible he gives you, book, incredible right? he gives you so much credit and when i read nourishing destiny and i read five spirits they just transform me to whole different worlds they're just such powerful teachings and books. And although his, the concepts are a bit different in the two of them, they are both, uh, I don't think he uses the term alchemy, but they're both about transforming the inner terrain. 
Yeah, well, we joke about it. Like there's ways, you know, and we were not in conversation many of those years and yet things became apparent and there's so many overlaps. And then there's a lot of places, like I even say in the endorsement, like as I read the book, I'm loving it, I'm taking it in, I'm arguing with him, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, but, mm. but the bottom line, it, what you said is that, you know, I think we both became aware that the real opportunity of Chinese medicine is, I mean, there's wonderful barefoot doctor, it's a wonderful medicine for community, it can alleviate pain, but the real gift, if we were to say the underlying opportunity is that it can transform our consciousness states. That it can support this necessary expansion beyond the limits of dualism and mental consciousness. And that it can take us to a much wider a kind of view or terrain of experience. And um, for me, of course, that's where my passion lies. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a word earlier, and I just want to get that out as, in a definition, negentropy. Mm. What is that? Yeah, so that's a thank you for coming back to that word. Um, most people have studied, hear the word entropy somewhere in high school. So this idea that laws of thermodynamics, which are the basis basically of Western science and physics. Uh, I mean, certainly quantum physics is going beyond some of those laws to some degree, but they still hold. And the idea of entropy is that any system that isn't fed from the outside, you know, a system is going to run down over time. So a process, a system, our bodies, over time, the universe, entropy rules in this viewpoint that over time systems will degrade. So when we think about even the Chinese idea that we're born with a certain amount of Jing and you have most Jing at birth and then when by the time you die, you've used up your Jing. That's, that's an early idea, entropic idea. It's an early idea of entropy. And we see that same idea in Western science. Alchemy, I mean, fundamentally throughout space and time, alchemy's central problem is how can we, if not completely reverse that process, how can we work with it? so that it doesn't govern my whole experience of life being, whether it's this lifetime, many lifetimes, we don't even know that. So what the alchemists studied were places where reversal happened. So rather than, you know, I'm born, I have my, my two and a half year old granddaughter now, who's like so full of chi, so full of jing, so radiantly blossoming and full and she's you know going like crazy and you could see like okay that's where we start you know a healthy child is full of jing and life and and then what 
you know, we go through a life and end up sitting in a wheelchair in a nursing home because we've used up our jing. Is that, that's entropy, is that inevitable? So all alchemical systems are looking at how can we do something different with that jing? How can we work with it consciously so that as it, rather than just using it up, we're transforming it and it's turning into organizations of actually higher value, more complexity and more effectiveness. For example, and uh, the sage who exudes compassion, wisdom, know-how, vitality. That's our, that's our, um, our opportunity. But like I said at the very beginning, it doesn't just happen. If we don't do something, if we don't work with our gifts in some way, entropy will rule. And so in the, in the characters, the Chinese characters, they're saying, in order to transform the Jing, there's some kind of nadon, some kind of inner work, some kind of reversal of the ordinary. They already knew this. I and mean, that's what I love. I love that. It's like we're talking about 3,000 years ago, people were observing the world and saying, okay, how can we reverse this natural downgrading of a system? And that's what that's basically what we're looking at. So even in the treatment room, it's not that we of course, we want to alleviate suffering. Of course, we want to alleviate pain. You know, that's that's Kuan Yin. That's that's our that's our calling. But if we're just doing that, if we're just putting a Band-Aid on and fixing it and, you know, my favorite phrase, just get me back to my old self again so I can go on out and run 40 miles and, you know, do, you know, Iron Man and basically blow up my body again at 45, 50, when your body's asking for something else, we're not, we're not engaging in an alchemical process. We're not saying, okay, how can I truly be in my Tao at this time? What is the relationship then between entropy, negentropy and chaos? Mm -hmm. Great question. Great question. So for me, for me, and again, this is me, this, that's a really tough question, Todd. And I'm, I'm really, this is me taking that question in right now. Cause I don't have a, I don't have an already science answer. I'm going in. But what I want to say in response to that is what, what my understanding is what transforms the, the leading um, conditions or the main influences on a system from entropy to negentropy is the emergence of some kind of spiritual factor, some kind of spirit, because spirit fundamentally when we say what is shen shen is negentropy shen is what activates enlivens initiates 
So for me, the reason that Western medicine, Western science has gotten stuck in the entropy corner is because they've separated spirit and matter. So if you've got a complete separation of spirit and matter, matter on its own is not self-renewing. You know, if we can bring spirit in or somehow find the spirit within that, then we've got, we're moving in negentropy. We're moving in that direction. So for me, one of the key places where that kind of negentropic factor is found, of course, it's up in heaven. Of course, it rains down as the sun, moon, and the stars. But the alchemists are looking at it coming from down below, from actually within the lead itself, within these places of impasse or suffering, there's gold. Like, you know, in lead, in fact, chemically, if you grind it up enough into a fine enough powder and kind of work with it down to that powder, it's actually inflammatory. It can explode. It can light up. So to find that, then again, this is me just really sitting with your question, to get at that embedded spirit, we have to be willing to bear the breaking up of those deep structures. And even the word in Chinese, huntun, which I have in Five Spirits, is this picture of um, a wave, a kind of a wave cresting, and under and on the right side of the character is a sprouting plant. So the, the cresting wave is like these waters of chaos overflowing. And they talk about the characters, a picture of a, the emergence of a plant, but also the difficulty at the beginning of any project. They say it's a particularly looking at the emergence of a village or of a town in the character, but it's really any, anything new that's trying to come up, the sprouting, has to break through the you know kind of embeddedness of the earth and also that there's there's the waters that are breaking the chaos waters and those chaos waters that's what <laughs> we don't ever know if we're going to get through these these passages right well that reminds me of Lao Tzu's basic quote to paraphrase that a journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. And it is that beginning, that first commitment into the unknown that is so challenging to do. So challenging. Yeah. So I think that comes back to this issue. Like it's not that we don't want to alleviate suffering, but I think the difference, and actually now we've got to a third key principle. We've said, you know, the first principle is alchemy goes down to find the gold. It's the dark soil art. It works with matter and darkness. The second principle is that it takes time. It's not a quick fix and it's not like a spiritual bypass. It's like we've got to be in it, committed, doing real inner work over time. And the third principle that I, 
you know, come back to again and again is that we're talking about processes of transformation, not restoration. So I think all too often as acupuncturists or of healers in any modality, people will come and they want to get fixed. So they're back to where they were. So the difference here in this gaze is that, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the suffering will be alleviated in my experience. Eventually it is, <laughs> but I'm not going to alleviate the suffering um, in let's see the word I want to say, and, and at the same time, give up the possibility of growth. If, if the possibility of growth requires that there's some discomfort or suffering for a longer amount of time, I'm going to support my patient in bearing it. Yeah. One of my closest friends speaks of what he is kind of coined intention. And I think we've all, we're all familiar with the word intention, but he's using basically a play on the word instead of intention with a T-I-O-N. It's two words of intention. Oh, good. And so in that tension of life, that is our lead. That's our prima materia. That's the place where most of us don't want to go. And it is in that tension and he always says like, you've got to go into that you have to embrace the chaos and go into that tension and within that you will find the transformation i love that that's very good yeah. i mean it's really again that's getting at very very uh central alchemical wisdom which jung actually carl jung of course engaged deeply in this work a lot of depth psychology is based on alchemical principles. And he studied Taoist alchemy, he studied European alchemy. And one of the phrases that I, he, you know, he said many things that are powerfully um, transformational and stay with us. But one of the key phrases that I treasure that he put together was he said, when a person is at an impasse in their life where you know there's two opposite kinds of possibilities neither of which feels right like one cancels the other out for example a person in a relationship you know with a family where they're maybe falling in love with someone someone else and so to leave the marriage would be devastating but to actually also give up this other love would be equally devastating. What Jung says is that tension of opposites is a sign that something new is trying to come to life. And our job is not to act, but to hold the tension, to hold that painful, difficult tension of these opposite impulses long enough for a third new possibility to emerge. And over, you know, now it's over 35 years of practice. And I'm like, that is one of the most, that's a chunk of wisdom that has really held for me, for myself and in the treatment room. Wow. That is profound. It's so hard, but that, 
But doing that is alchemy. It's like bearing it. It's like, you know, I want to leave my family. I don't want to leave my family. I want to leave my job. I, you know, I don't want to leave my job. I mean, you'll see it. And when you see that constellate in the treatment, when you see that clinically, you know that Tao, you know, Tao, the big self, some cosmic thing is trying to get into that person's like wake them up, open them to something completely that they couldn't even have imagined. But it takes, you know, this holding, this inner work, this willingness to bear that. And so I love what your friend came up with. It's brilliant being in tension, consciously. So how does someone navigate that without potentially getting stuck or stagnant within it in mm. place of doing nothing which ultimately results in just kind of a perpetuation of the the lack of passion the lack of life the mundane Todd you are so good <laughs> you're so good it's like you're right that's exactly the next clinical issue that's exactly the next clinical issue is like, if we're holding and if we're containing when and not acting, as you say, when does that tip over into stagnation and actually encrusted inactivity? You know, and I think that again, if, you know, we are just walking in the footsteps of physicians and sages who had so much wisdom, you know, that they knew that that was a kind of crux question. When is Wu Wei doing by not doing becoming a kind of passive paralysis? So basically they wrote a whole book on that called the I Ching. Right. You know, so when some when, of our listeners may have heard, right, right, a few people, right, one of, I think, the most widely sold books on the planet, right, besides the Bible. It's like, yeah. when do we move? When do we go with the young? When do we rest and, and be receptive with the yin? And what this idea of intention is, you know, the the sort of premise of this whole issue of holding the tension and go doing by not doing is that if we can hold that with enough consciousness, with enough devotion and um, keeping the fire under it, you know, not just drinking or drugging or go watching TV or going into denial, but staying with the discomfort then we're, we're going to come to that enantrodromia within the water, within the yin, where the yang spontaneously arises. And I've seen that so many times. It's like, that's the sprout of the huntun. That's like, oh my God, I never, I, I couldn't, I didn't think of that. You know, like I have a, a person, one of my students, she's, brilliant, wonderful. She worked with me for years and she was um, in a really stuck place in her marriage, you know, and she was like, I'm out of here. I can't. I, I, and then she, of course, another person came along 
And there was like all this enlivenment and she was so, it was so painful. And this lasted, you know, well over a year of like, I'm not going to break my vows. I need to, I had kids and um, she, she loved her husband, but it was, you know, it, this, they come to that place and she held it and held it and held it. She's now incredible business partners with the person she fell in love with. They have a flourishing, incredibly enlivened business. She's in love with her husband. She's, you know, looking more gorgeous than ever, but she could never at the beginning have imagined that that arrows of this other person could transform and not just become, you know, spilled over into a sexual relationship that would blow up her family. But that, but that renewal didn't come from her. That renewal came from, you know, the emergence of spirit, like some greater wisdom of the big self. <laughs> when you speak of spirit or Shen, uh, you referred to Shen in the case of negentropy a while ago. Are you referring to Shen as the heart spirit? Or are you referring to Shen as the five spirits? The Yi, the Po, the Han, the Shen? Yeah, another really good question. So when we speak of Shen as essential negentropy, and we speak of Shen as in its pure estate, it's simply light. It's simply activating photons. So those photons, and I think this is very confusing, you know, part of it is the confusion of translating characters from the Chinese. The Chinese character is so multifaceted. And then we bring it into English and we're like, what Shen are we talking about? Um, I think what we can say is essentially there's three basic ways to think of Shen in Chinese medicine and in Chinese Taoist philosophy. There's the Shen that rains down from heaven, the light of the sun, the moon, and the stars, the, the most yang expression. It's the pure light that has emerged from the, the huntun of the, the cosmos before. You know, they even say when this cosmos, that chaos started to spin in just pure darkness, out of it came this light. Again, this idea that out of the yin, out of the yin darkness, out of that opacity, that chaos, there's emerging these young life sparks. So that is one form of the Shen and it rains down on us from the sun and from the moon and from the stars. Then there is the Shen, that little tiny speck of Shen that comes down from the Big Dipper at the moment of conception. So I get this little photon that I can see in your eyes right now that, that, we, that goes back and forth between us when we're in conversation. Even though you're on one side of the continent, I'm on the other, you know, Shen is not at all bounded by space and time. So Zoom, you know, when they say Zoom, it's Shen bits. 
zooming back and forth. <laughs> so that so that's this little Shen, you know. And then the five spirits are actually describing the, you know, it's, a, it's another way that we talk about the Shen, that each of those five spirits are aspects of Shen as it moves from the most yang down into embeddedness in matter. So that's why I talk about it as a vertical axis. And we have all of those different sort of qualities of Shen within us. But the Shen in the heart is the same as the Shen, you know, from heaven. Thank you for that. Another definition I think that uh, would be good to go a little bit deeper into, and you mentioned it when you brought up the term Wu Wei, but I think Wu Wei needs a little bit more exploration so that people are a bit more familiar with what that is and, and how that plays into things. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, when I start, I studied with Professor J.R. Worsley and Lemmington Spob. Now it's like I've been practicing 35 years. So I guess my encounters with J.R., you know, it's almost 40 years. And he was a bit like a, a wizard at Hogwarts, you know. I mean, really, back then it was it was wild because he was pulling bits and pieces. It wasn't like he was a sinologist and he hadn't read the kind of education people have now is very different. But JR had gone to Japan, had been in China, had teachers, and he masterfully pulled together a system that could be applied clinically. But it was, it was bits and pieces, you know, but one bit that he took and really emphasized is that the heart, the heart monarch rules through Wu Wei. That was like, he would come back to that again and again and again, that the heart, which begins to beat, I forget the exact, I think it's six weeks or maybe even less after conception. Sorry, that's not my area of expertise, but it's pretty soon. We've got a heartbeat in utero. And that heartbeat continues till the last breath. So if we say, how does the heart do that? It doesn't take vacations. It beats during sleep. It doesn't, the monarch never stops. He'd say the only way that we can do something of that magnitude, of that importance and, and you know, kind of, um, what it takes is through this con this practice of Wu Wei that the heart does all that by not doing anything at all. It just, it allows, it allows. And the monarch also of all the officials, it, the monarch's job is to be on the throne and allow light to move through them. So Wu Wei is a really key alchemical idea that is at the root of a lot of how Chinese medicine actually sees physiology. And um, also how alchemists looked at the world. So we say it's doing Wu, the way is the doing by Wu not doing it all. And um, 
why I think that's it's it's so key to alchemy is that when we come to these ideas of as a, it's a reversal of our ordinary um, instinctual drive. And that reversal is what alchemists would say. There's something that needs to happen in order to reverse entropy. We need to do something. And that's often the doing is not doing. It's, it's resisting the impulse to do the habitual. It's also to take it one step further, it is actually um, bringing the guidance of the Shen, or we could even say the prefrontal medial cortex or intention or consciousness to bear on my um, acting out instinctual drives of the je, of the will, of the survival drives or of the, the water element. So when we practice Wu Wei, we're actually practicing a modulation, a tempering, a relating to the instincts in a way that begins a transformation process. So in a way, it, it very much is tied back to many of the things we've already talked about. And, but in a sense, it's kind of that intention bit again, because as opposed to during our habitual response, which is to get away from, take away this pain, with the Wu Wei, we're just sitting with it. And through that, not doing will come about something beautiful, something transformative. That's the possibility. And again, I, I one of the key practices I teach, and it's so simple <laughs> that it's almost ridiculous, and it's so hard that we can spend a lifetime practicing it, is what I call the pause practice. And I, I talk about that practice in the book, The Alchemy of Inner Work, my more recent book, but I teach it all the time. And, and it's one of my main practices. And so the pause is simply noticing when I'm about to do something in that habitual way, or, you know, just those moments when I'm just so pissed off and I'm going to write this email and I'm going to send that email and tell them what I think. The pause practice is to say, or, you know, I'm going to have this affair and, you know, okay, let my family blow up the pause. So it can be, it can be micro or macro, but to notice that the, the instincts have kind of gone wild, that the instincts are leading or running the show. And to, in the book, I, I have a picture of uh, this, you know, she's a kind of a goddess, a young goddess, a maiden, you could say, um, with her hand on the lion, but she's not controlling the lion. She doesn't harness the lion. If we think of the lion as our instinct, she simply puts this hand gently on the lion's back. That's Wu Wei. Mm -hmm. You're letting the yin gently put her hand on the back of the yang. Right. I want to look at a paragraph 
that is in five spirits in the chaos chapter. And do you want to read that or do you want me to? No, you go ahead. I don't actually have it in front of me. Yeah. Okay. So this is in the revised newest edition of five spirits on page 305. And you write, the crux point is the time of reversal when we must surrender our most cherished ideas about ourselves and the world. It is the time when the yin leads and the yang follows, when action must become the agent of stillness and stillness must become the agent of activity. And when pain, suffering, limitation, and uncertainty may in fact be the agents of growth and creativity. At such times of crisis, of illness, loss, and betrayal, often we hear people say, I feel as if my world just turned upside down. From the perspective of alchemy, this may be good news in disguise because the upside down world, the world where the light rises up from below is the world where transformation happens. Hmm. Which as I read it now again, it's basically a, a kind of a very nice summary of everything we've just been talking about. And when I read it the first time, it was a very, and still is, it's a very powerful reminder of these beautiful or potentially beautiful opportunities that come from the darkest moments of our life when there's crisis oh. or illness or loss or betrayal. Yeah. Thank you for pulling that out, Todd. I think, um, well, whoa. <laughs> I mean, first of all, that is the domain of, you know, who I, I call Ziwang, I mean, Ziwang Mu, this dark goddess energy of the underworld. That our culture, you know, dualism, um, the Western world of rationality, um, you know, for the past 500, we could say, thousand years um, or even more, has been desperately trying to uh, exile or even uh, annihilate. So oh, that passage that you read, of course, applies to our journey, our individual journeys. And I think we've all been faced with those journeys, those moments. And if we're lucky, we're gonna find a guide who can support us with some tools but it's also what's happening on a global level now. It That what you read, we are facing the end point of being able to do it through the rational mind. You know, the structures of that have kind of held things in place somewhat, you know, as far as culture, consciousness, familiar patterns of commerce, communication, travel, all of it is breaking down. And, you know, I'm gonna go way out on a limb here, but for me, you know, when COVID hit, I was like, wow, you know, we've been trying to transform 
to take care of the environment? How are we going to slow things down? And it's like the dark goddess did it with a like it gets a microbe. We can't even see this thing that is gumming up the works, that's disrupting the patterns, that's leaving us with so many uncertainties and questions. And I think that the opportunity that we're being faced with is, can we, instead of just desperately trying to get back to the way things were before, look for what Gaia, what the planet is asking of us now? You know, how do we live in alignment with the planet that is actually undergoing as we speak transformational processes? I mean, storms, volcanoes, fires, erosion of coastlines, like we are living in real time chaos. And again, as I said, 40 years ago, I was like, we need tools to be able to do this skillfully and to bear it, to bear it, to support each other in bearing this. And I think, you know, so we are at that crux point. It's not like, oh, it's gonna happen in 30 years, you know, oh, well, we may, maybe we can reverse it if we, you know, recycle enough, you know, it's like we're at a crux point. So to be able to say, okay, you know, like sit down and, get present and say, you know, how do I support the, the possibility of emergence? Because stuff is emerging as we speak, like new consciousness. I mean, that's what Lonnie and I talked about. We, you know, we had a recent conversation and it's like, it's happening. Like the light is pushing up, the old structures are coming apart. And so if, if we don't just respond by trying to desperately hold the old patterns in place or just running around or blotting out or using or watching TV, but we actually say, what's my role here? How can I, as a healer, actually engage in supporting the emergence of something amazing in my patients, but also in the culture? And that's what a lot of my new teaching is about. I mean, I'm, I'm currently preparing a bunch of teaching around this question of healing at the crossroads or healing at the crux point. You know, what, what like we are all trained in this way that makes a lot of assumptions about how things are gonna go. But can we actually practice in a way that lets go of those assumptions and says, you know, what are human beings actually up to? How do I support myself, my patients in living a Tao, living their Tao in the midst of disorder and chaos and all kinds of change? Mm -hmm. One of the four agreements to give up those assumptions, not to make assumptions. It's a very hard one to do. I just it had a conversation so last night with some men about this, and it's very hard to give up assumptions. Well, that's the thing, even in the quote that you read, like where you just giving up my assumptions, giving up my, my sense of my identity, that I, it's, it's, you're in free fall. And that is the thing I've been really looking at lately is how do we bring this medicine to bear? You know, because we've got so 
much potential in this medicine, even just to support someone in finding their celestial pivot as they're in free fall, you know, as we're like, even the Shen cycles going bonkers, you know? Yeah. Well, let's use that, use this as a starting point to talk about that. How in clinical setting do you work your magic and how can listeners also be able to use some of this inner alchemy to help transform their patients? I love the case studies that you bring in the five spirits. I love how when you are in the treatment room with patients, you will feel called to a particular point, to the spirit of a point. And you'll actually, as you describe, inform your patients of the meaning behind the point and of, of the name and the spirit of the point and let that percolate with them while you're actually needling that particular point. Well, there's so, so much, you know, we have an amazing, amazing medicine that's, that's in a certain way, it's just what's needed now. If we can, if we can render transparent, it's, you know, it, the all of it. So, you know, everyone knows that phrase, there's three levels of the medicine. You know, there's the, the physical level and there's the body, the body mind level. And then there's this spirit level and it's moving from the most sort of yin dense expression of the chi at the physical bones, muscles level through the psyche, you know, this, this sort of in between soul zone to this most finest, most ephemeral level, you know, the, the Shen that we were talking about. And I think in order to bring this medicine to bear on the the world as it is now on the the kinds of issues that our patients are facing and even on this issue that some of us can't even always put our hands on people anymore for one reason or another we're doing telemedicine we're doing zoom sessions it's like in but but we can i think that the prerequisite is that we bring all the levels that we begin to do, as I say, render transparent all the levels of the medicine and not get stuck, you know, at any one that I can, that I can touch all these levels. For me, in order to, um, well, let me just, cause that's such a big question, Todd. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you teach, you know, it's like to really teach this, I have, year-long training programs and a lot of people work with me for many, many years. So I want to just, but to come get really simple and get really like, okay, what do I do now? How do I begin? Of course, the first step is my own inner cultivation. You know, that I'm tending to these different levels in myself. That I have practices that I engage with that tend to my physical body, to my soul or psychological self, and to my spiritual life. You know, and that, that, that can seem like a tall order, but actually they can be very simple practices. You know, it can be 
and but I but I think that's that's the first step. Like I'm not going to be able to do this for anyone no. if I'm not doing it for myself. The inner cultivation of our own being is the key to any alchemy happening in the treatment room. I love that you are bringing that up and really <clears throat> putting a a point in it because it is so powerful and so many people speak of it, including you and Lonnie. We can only take our patients as far as we have gone ourselves. And so as practitioners, if we haven't done the Nagong or the inner work, well, we can't guide them. It's like, it's like, doing plant spirit medicine with a shaman who's never actually had yeah. been and has never actually used the plants in him or herself. That's a great way to put it. Exactly. Because it is to that degree. It is like we're asking people to change their consciousness. If I haven't changed my consciousness, how, how can I transmit that? Mm -hmm. So that's a whole nother topic, <laughs> which yeah. Certainly, we could talk about for probably a lifetime, but I think it's a great you know, point one. We need to work on ourselves. We need to make that inner transformation to be able to then help our patients. And, and what I want to emphasize is that even though we're saying alchemy requires ongoing practice over time, it doesn't require, you know, two hours of meditation a day and you know, 16 years of Qigong training. It just requires that I dedicate myself a little bit every day to this aspect of my life. So like I'll say to people, just, just do three minutes of shaking Qigong between patients to take care of your body. You know, just do, if you like to dance, then dance in the morning. Do something, you know, really pay attention to your body's physical needs, what nourishes you. Um, I would say along with this, I have a, I'm a big fan of the posol. And the posol can both be a real nasty trickster taking us down the road of addiction, you know, patterns of self-care that are, are actually negligence. Or we can make offerings to the Po, like ask my body, soul, what do I need? Just that practice alone, like what does my body need today? That's a practice. You know, I'm responding to it in some way. It doesn't have to be big. On the level of the psyche, of course, that's what so much of my work is about. But simple, what could be a simple self-cultivation practice on the level of psyche? Starting to write your dreams down. You know, like we talked about, we've talked about the dreams, you and I, and how amazing they can be. So simply just writing the dreams down in a book and getting a little interested in dream work, that's a practice. That is a soul practice. And, and there's, of course, a, a, so much else. That's a domain that, that's very much a lot of what I teach is in that domain of soul work. And then on the spirit level, some kind of time where you just clear it, where you open the channels, you know, and again, that could be sitting for five minutes 
but doing it with devotion. So again, those are just little suggestions, but I'm pointing that out to say, this isn't, this doesn't have to take over your whole life. It just has to be something that you're engaged with. And that if you hit rocky points, which you will, those chaos points or those struggle points, that that's where you reach out and get support, supervision, find a teacher, because that's where you keep growing as a practitioner. So that's the first thing. You know, I think that the second suggestion I have as far as bringing this into the treatment room is practicing the pause. And again, that's, I talk about that in the book, The Alchemy of Inner Work. There's lots of other practices in that book. It's really a how-to guide. So- um, It's an incredible book. I highly you. recommend both yeah, it and you. Five Spirits. <laughs> But it's, it's a little like companion, like, cause it, so to just, it, when you're in the treatment room, notice what's going on in you and take, and take a moment. Don't act out. I mean, again, in Five Spirits, I talk about that initial time where I was treating a woman with um, hyper hypothyroid, kind of a Hashimoto situation where things were jumping all over the place and she was in menopause perimenopause and I got permission from her cardiologist. She didn't want to take meds or have surgery. So I was, had sort of like two months to see if she could modulate this. And, um, and I remember putting a needle, she was fine. And I did a point, I can't say what point it was. And all of a sudden, you know, her pulse rate shot up to like a hundred. And I was, I remember that moment where I felt like, oh my gosh, I've done something wrong. That was the wrong point. I've messed her up. She, you know, she's going to have to go to the hospital. And I was sort of freaking out. And I felt like the whole room was kind of rocking and I didn't know what to do. And I just took a breath. And this was a real pivotal moment for me because it was that moment where I realized when the chaos happens, when it starts to feel like everything's coming apart, take a breath and just, I, I remember, okay, okay, the floor's moving. <laughs> I'm freaking out here, but I can still align myself and let her realign. And sure enough, you know, a couple of minutes later, I went back to the pulse and things were calming down and coming down. And in the end, she didn't need, I mean, not from that one treatment, but through the work, she ended up being able to work with it naturally, you know. So that pause practice can really help, you know, when you start to feel like, oh my gosh, I've got to, I've got to take away the back pain. You know, what treatment should I do? Pause practice. Relevant in every aspect of life <laughs> yes. certainly not just the clinical setting yeah short of and maybe running for your life from some sort of predator yes there are times when the adrenals are our friends yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you know but most of the time we, we need to put our hand on the lion's back as far as tools again there's so many tools that people can bring to bear and i think what I want to say here is 
you know, a lot of times students come in and, and start learning these different tools, the working with somatic uh, inner sensing processes, bringing in dream work, bringing in archetypes, bringing in flower essences and oils. And they'll say, well, you know, do I have to go back and get a license in this? Or do I have to go back and become a psychoanalyst or a psychotherapist? And what I want to emphasize here is that isn't the point that we are, we can bring in tools from, you know, more than human allies, like the plants or animal spirits from the dream world, not to become a different kind of practitioner, not to leave our home in, you know, our own tradition, our own medicine, but to amplify and, and enhance the tools we're already using in order to meet the needs of the patients in the modern Western world. You know, some of these tools that were taught, you know, they're tools from 2000 years ago in China. And that while, you know, human beings are human beings and they're gonna touch our patients in wonderful ways, the Western project of, of this individual soul experience in order to touch that at times, I found that I need to bring in other tools. And that's, that's basically what alchemical acupuncture is. It's bringing in, amplifying, bringing in, and then also going into Chinese medicine and discovering that was what the five spirits were for me. I'm like, yes, there's an embedded psychology in our medicine. We don't mm -hmm. have to go elsewhere to find it. And it's a brilliant psychology. Yeah. Previous podcast guest, C.T. Holman. Talk, <laughs> yeah. You know, C.T., he, yeah. he talks, uh, or he's a big proponent of drumming. And so he brings <laughs> drumming into his therapeutic sessions. Yes, uh, and I think he's brought the shamanic lineage yes. for me with the alchemical lineage. But it yes. doesn't mean we're not practitioners of Chinese medicine, it doesn't, mm -hmm. it, or whatever that even is. I mean, what does that even mean, right? We're, right. we're, we're doing this work, this amazing work. Right. Ooh, so good, so powerful. So first, let's do the inner work or at least begin the inner work. And then second point was, just to recap, Practicing the pause. The pause. In the right. treat room. So they, because in that pause, I'm reversing awareness. And in the secret of the golden flower and other Chinese texts, they say the first step of alchemy is reversing the handle of the stars. In other words, reversing the light of the Shen mm. so that I'm bringing it to bear on my own inner being. That oh, alchemy, like that's that. where it starts. You yeah. can just do that in the treatment room and things will start to change. Yeah. Because in that little space, the point will show up or in that little space, the question about the back pain that you didn't ask yet will emerge for you. Mm -hmm. And then in the third, which is potentially bringing in other areas or disciplines of healing, to me, that's almost like trusting your intuition. 
mm, because, like that. because of course you're not going to be drawn to bringing in something that you have no awareness of what it is if you're in the treatment setting and you feel called to chant or bring out essential oils or whatever it may be clearly your intuition is saying i, I feel this is going to have some sort of impact i love that yeah and and yes as you said most of us have adjunct tools that we love and using the intuition and trusting that you know oh now i'm going to bring the tuning forks in oh now i'm going to bring in a spirit point and of course the spirit points for me are you know primo tools for this work and that's why i wrote kiko um you know exploring the the spiritual essence of the points through the changing seasons which is mm -hmm. my most recent book and um it really is a guide to using spirit points in the treatment room and for me they are there are like go-to tool right now mm. so let's let's talk a bit about that book and is that a handbook basically then for practitioners to better yeah. understand the spirits of the points Definitely. I mean, it's put out Singing Dragon, published the book as a book for clinicians. Okay. And I mean, it's, I think it's primarily for acupuncturists, although, you know, it certainly would be applicable to people who do acupressure, people who are um, essential oil practitioners who use the oils on points. I'm going to be presenting with them. Um, a, a teacher of yoga who who uses yoga for race-based trauma and you know she's like oh i can bring these points into my yoga teaching mm -hmm. so it's so it's not like only acupuncturists but it's definitely written for as a handbook for acupuncturists and it's looking at how do we bring these points into the treatment room in such a way that I can interrupt familiar patterns, that I can support people in moving through chaos, that I can, you know, support people in holding the tension, all of these things that you and I have been talking about. Not that I don't do what I already do. You can, you know, you're still going to be doing your acupuncture, physical medicine, your eight extras, whatever style you do, and, you know, TCM, but bringing the spirit point in will change the way the treatment runs. And Laurie, what is Kigo? K-I-G-O. <laughs> yeah, when Singing Dragon took the book, they said, I think we might have to change the title because nobody knows what Kigo is. And I said, no, the, the title is the organizing principle of the whole book. And they, they went with it. So Kigo, a Kigo, it's actually a Japanese word. And it means in Japanese season word. So Ikigo is the word in the haiku poem. They call it the window of the haiku. So uh, there in Japan, there are these formal kind of lists of Kigo words. But as I said, you know, a Kigo word, um, it would be like, um, crimson maple leaf. I'm looking out my window right now and everything's green. And then there's one crimson maple leaf. And that tells you everything about 
you know, this moment in the seasonal round here on, on the coast of Maine. It's like all this green, like stained glass leaves and then crimson, this crimson maple leaf. That's a key go. Okay. Mm, uh, yeah, like ducks flying in formation. Right. So for me, when I came across that word, I was like, that's what a spirit point is. A spirit point is a window into a person's soul. So uh, a point like um, earth motivator. You know, that brings up, it's already, and if we, and of course for me, what I do there is I look at the Chinese characters. I'm like in that, point earth motivator there's there's the word g which is a picture of it's it means kind of um machine or activator it's it's a picture actually in the most ancient times it was a picture of a woman's genital g hmm. so again you see the alchemy embedded in these characters that 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 earth motivator as a point spleen eight is not about the young, you know, we're an earth now. Yeah. We're not about the wood. We're not about, you know, like the uprising gate of hope, you know, like everything moving up in this young negentropic way here. We're on the entropic side of the life cycle. And yet there's a motivating force. And it's this motivation of the earth herself. And it's happening in my garden. It's like everything is coming to fruition now. That's earth motivator. And you want that movement of moving towards fruition. And even like my garden, I feel like it's always these days, it's like, eat me, eat me, use me, you know, transform me. That's Lene. Right. <laughs> I love it. We don't have that in our bookstore at Pacific Rim College. We do have five spirits, but we are going to get Kigo in as well. Good. Yeah. So listeners will be able to find that soon in our bookstore. Thank you for, yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's a useful, it's almost like a companion guide yeah. to five spirits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Lori, I just love having conversations with you. I learned so much and just feel so enlivened by the opportunity just to, just to discuss with you where well, likewise, Todd really I was oh, really looking forward to this thank you, you had such great questions and I feel like on a certain level our passion and our commitment you know are they're so parallel what yeah. we're committed to in this world it's wonderful so we've mentioned the three books five spirits the alchemy of inner work Kigo where else can listeners learn more about you and potentially work with you? Okay, so we have a community uh, that we welcome practitioners of all sorts and also um, just people who are really interested, seriously interested in this kind of work. And <clears throat> they can find us at a newpossibility.com. Both, there's some lots there you can look at if you want to join the community it's easy there's lots of links and on in the community we have seasonal 
AccuSpeak meetups for acupuncture practitioners, where I actually spend time with practitioners in the community, looking at cases and looking at particular concepts that are of interest to me. And then we have monthly group meetups, looking at the book. We're actually doing a read through of the alchemy of inner work. And there's so much stuff, so many rabbit holes there of fascinating conversations on dreams and flower essences and activism. So we welcome anyone who's interested in that at anewpossibility.com. And oh, courses as well. So if you're a member, you can do the courses, but if you're a member, you get a discount on the courses. Lots of, you can get your NCCAOM credits for ethics and, and safety with my boundaries course there. And there's lots of other great courses on the site. And working with me specifically, um, we are in the process of developing a mentorship through healthy seminars, actually. So if people are really interested in diving deep, this is a year long training um, that will be offered through healthy seminars with Lauren Brown. So it's a collaboration between a new possibility and healthy seminars. And there's tons of information on that on healthy. They can just go there and um, just click on my name on the healthy seminar site. And we've got lots uploaded on the curriculum and the planning and the dates and all that. And I'm also doing a course coming up October 24th through the TCM Academy, um, which is a more European based, but anyone can do it. So TCM Academy, October 24th. And this weekend through Lauren Brown, uh, um, Sunday, I'm doing a um, healing at the crossroads, which is looking at a lot of what you and I have been talking about. What is, what is being asked of us as healers now? You know, how can we incorporate? So I'll be getting more granular about incorporating some different tools and really looking at, you know, how do we do this thing? How do we do this? How do we keep being in the Tao as healers when the Tao is like spinning around here? Yeah. That would get people started. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for doing this today and all of your amazing contributions to people and the planet and profession of acupuncture and alchemy. You just have brought so much to so many people. And just thank you so much for doing that work. Thank you so much, Todd, for all you're doing really like for what you are doing and what you're contributing and offering. And I look forward to our next encounter whenever that is. Yes. And I hope that we can somehow figure out a presentation for you at Pacific Rim College, either on campus or online. Up to. Be we'll a, stay in that conversation. Great. Yes. great. Have a beautiful day. Thank you so much, Lori. You too. Lots of love, Todd. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Lori Eve Deschar. To learn more about Lori, visit anewpossibility.com and pick up copies of all three of her amazing books. If you feel drawn to the study of Chinese medicine, the School of Acupuncture and Chinese Medicine at Pacific Rim College offers world-renowned, multi-year programs including world's first study options combining acupuncture with Western herbal medicine and holistic nutrition. Visit pacificrimcollege.com to learn more. 
Also, don't forget to check out our online education in Chinese medicine by exploring the amazing course offerings at PacificRimCollege.online, including many courses featuring other guests of this podcast. Sign up for our newsletter to receive special offers on our newest releases. If you are interested in receiving clinical services on holistic nutrition, herbal medicine, and acupuncture in Chinese medicine, the student clinic at PRC provides more than 7,000 annual treatments. Live holistic nutrition and herbal medicine consultations are both available online, while acupuncture and Chinese medicine treatments can be had at our Victoria campus. Free treatment options are available in all areas. Visit the student clinic at pacificrimcollege.com for more information and to book your appointment. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you're using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, hold the tension and see what light awaits in the dark.